and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going to get in The House of the Dead, whether we like it or not. I don't even know why this episode is called The House of the Dead, mm, but we'll get into it. Uh, it's episode four of the 2021 adaptation of The Stand. Before we get into that, how was your week? My week was actually very busy, and I can't remember much of it, other than that it was very busy. I did a, uh, got a lot accomplished, but it, it doesn't seem like it. Hey, everybody. Everybody in our house is back issues. Yes, I had back issues from a training injury, and it's... I have one from a sleeping injury, so <laughs> cheers. Oh, there we go. Something we have in common. Um, and it was... Uh, yeah, it took a little while to to start feeling better because it's been a week and a half or so yeah but um and there were those uncomfortable moments trying to get out of bed in the morning where okay i have to lean on the wall and sort of walk myself up the wall to stand up (laughs) but it seems to be better now so yeah i'm very happy i think better sleep is also helping better sleep yes that that's important because the pain would wake me up about five in the morning Mm, so it was hard to go on sleeping but um but so how are you I'm good. Uh, also with a small back injury. I think mm-hmm. right now my most of my back pain comes from the empathy of everyone else having back right. pain. Everyone here is injured. <laughs> so uh, that's happening. And then uh, what else? What else? What else? Not much else. Mm. Not much else. I'm working. Which is good. You reach an age when not much happening is actually good. A good thing, otherwise yes. Otherwise it's disaster. We did learn, we learned this week, not mm. to go shopping on a f- Monday, Monday evening. No. So, hey everyone, if you're in the Bay Area, don't go, go try and go grocery shopping Monday after work. There's nothing in any of the stores. Nope, we couldn't find anything, and um, yes, we'll make do until we go shopping again. So, it's a late record, because we gave Monday to shopping. Mm-hmm. Silly. It was fruitless. So, this week, uh, we are uh, talking about the House of the Dead. House of the Dead. Which I guess is Hemingford Home. Which sounds like a Rob Zombie movie. It is a Rob Zombie movie. Oh, I thought that was House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, you're right. It Where is. did all those corpses come from? Uh, murderers. Okay. Also, a thousand corpses is That's so many corpses. That's a lot of corpses. That is a kind of an I, obscene amount of corpses. I've tried so hard, because I appreciate what he's doing. To understand the Rob Zombie aesthetic. Yeah, but, but it's yuck, and you don't it, like yuck. Basically, it looks like everyone needs a flea dip, uh, or a shower, or something. It's one of those few films where I can look at the characters and smell them. Uh, it's it's terrible. That's Anyhow. everything said in the past, but you don't have a problem with that. Right. But, so. I mean, I don't People look, eat. <laughs> I don't look at the characters and actively think, that guy must smell awful. Okay, so this week, uh, as I said, we watched The House of the Dead, which is episode Mm -hmm. four. Uh, It was directed by Daniel Cruddy and Bridget Savage Cole, the same uh, duo that directed last week's episode. And it was written by literally everyone. Uh, It has four people on the teleplay by Mm -hmm. credit. And they're divided by various and sundry uh, versions of the word and. Okay. It's Jill Killington, Ampersand, Owen King, The Word and, Benjamin Cavill, Ampersand, Eric Dickinson. Which means I think the team of Jill and Owen and the team of Ben and Eric 
Is that what that's trying to communicate to me in the I most labored and tortured is, way possible? I believe that is what it is trying to do. Yes. And this is the first thing that we have watched for this miniseries that was released in the same year wow. that we are in. Actually, yeah, no, that's true, because Dr. Sleep... Yeah, yes, that is correct. So this premiered on January 7th, 2021. Mm. Midst of the pandemic. Still wild to me that they decided to go ahead and put this thing out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that they didn't really have an option in terms of how much money had been spent and how much publicity they were going to have to generate. And yeah. People will have a resistance to watching a film that they know was made five years ago if it gets released new. I I guess, which is so silly to me. I guess that was what um sort of happened with, what is the movie that I like that you don't? How, Cabin in the Woods. Right, exactly. Yeah, where they were like, oh, release it now because he's Thor now. But they made that movie well before well, he was Thor. <laughs> the tremendous amount of money that's just sitting, waiting for mm. the uh, to be funded in, in, in films, in particular films, I know people who are in the film industry now who can't get any financing from lack of connections or whatever else. And just the strangest things make money. And then there are other films. And then Ryan Murphy gets seven right. uh, seven first look deals with seven different companies for a billion dollars a piece. I don't. Well, we have yeah, not and, started and, watching his new show yet. So. I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, on the other hand, you do have a movie like somebody actually shelved a cabin in the woods as expensive yeah. as that film was. Mm hmm. There, I don't know the audience for this. I don't know how we can market it. So I'm just which going is to wild. It. It's a horror movie. Market yeah. the damn thing as a horror movie, and you will make a million dollar or a billion dollars. That's what horror movies, but not maybe a billion dollars. Uh, horror movies don't have as much of a right. universal appeal. Um, but they always make a profit. They and do. That, that was one because of the things that um, usually not that expensive to make, especially when you get Thor before he's Thor. Right. <laughs> attracted people like Roger Corman who. Yeah. He's not a horror person. He's a very And it's literate, why uh, Jason um, Blum is a very right. rich man. Because he gives he, everyone $5 million to make a movie. Yeah. And then he makes hundreds of millions of dollars right. when those movies come out but, in theaters. Uh, in Corman's case, he didn't think of himself as a horror filmmaker. This was just, I can do it cheap. There's always an audience for it. And mm -hmm. we can turn it over quickly. Mm -hmm. and That's so, the other thing. Yeah, there's not a lot of... I mean, Cabin in the Woods has more After Effects, I think, right. than a lot of um, stuff, horror stuff that's done right. practically or in camera. Right. But, yeah, but usually the, the turnaround they were is on At the time, they were trading on Joss Whedon's good name, which is not something I you can do now. I 100% forgot that Joss Whedon right. was involved but in that movie. They were trading on oh, his good name, and which is amazing no. because he had a similar problem with uh, getting Firefly done. Yeah. Um, Us, Serenity, the movie, or oh, well, no, the, the show? Okay. That the, he was still being jerked around by the network, despite the fact that he had these monster successes before. They were okay with. Yeah, Fox made some episodes and really not terrible them choices and, in the nineties. Yeah. It was very strange yeah. that, that it doesn't matter what your track record is; they can just hold a film. The producers can hold a film, or they could also choose to give day. Seth MacFarlane sixteen different shows that are all the same oh, show. Oh gosh! Don't get I me mean. Yeah, I know. That's that's <laughs> the frustration and why, again, in retrospect, I'm glad I did not get into the film business because that would be the endless frustration. Um, yeah, that's why I didn't get into teaching. Endless right. frustration. Yes. But the endless frustration of watching some people succeed or 
get money or millions of dollars altogether in vanity projects. And you're wondering, why is this person still working? Why are we still seeing another Oliver Stone movie? It's so blank. Check has something to talk about. At this point, it's also, why is Quentin Tarantino, no matter how bad his movies are, making more movies? But that's my complaint. Because he, piece a seg- segment of people who've decided that he's good. Mm-hmm. You see, Oliver Stone is fading away a little bit, but Tarantino, they're still I giving options. I was looking at uh, Oliver Stone and going, what made somebody go, I think we needed a biography of Alexander the Great. Or, and let's just give him all the money to do it. We probably could have used a bi- biography of Alexander the Great. That's not what the fuck he made. Right, no. So, or um, a film about Nixon. We really need a great film about Nixon. I'm thinking... What, what movie did he make about Nixon? Is there a movie called Nixon that's by Oliver Stone? Yeah, it's, I don't I, know I, this. I, I'm, I, I don't know that I've ever seen uh, an Oliver Stone movie. That can't be true. Did he make Born on the Fourth of July? Because I've definitely seen that. Yes. Okay. I saw a JFK. I have was, never seen Jack. As a film goes, very good. It turns out not historically accurate, but I don't go um, to the movies for yeah, history. Okay. <laughs> I know, but when you're purporting to debunk, I, I agree with you. No, a no, no, you're particular right. Particular report and question the evidence, and then you provide false facts to support your statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it does become a question because it's not. You can't. It's a very serious subject, which is also why, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, Quentin Tarantino's movie. Changing all the characters and and somehow we kill off the Manson family and I'm fine we, with that even right because but, it is it we all know that that's not what happened right JFK is a I think different right but you're still including historical characters and not yeah that's fine whether the really insulting attack on Bruce Lee or the weird fetishization of Sharon's um, Tate Sharon Tate. Uh, where she barely gets any lines, but she's constantly in the film. Do you see her feet? You see her feet of in, in close up at one point. Um, I won't watch that movie. So yeah, you have well, I'm sorry that I watched it the first time. But um, but anyhow, yeah, it just tells me who gets work, who gets pay, uh, these huge payouts for films that you can actually spend millions of dollars in a movie and then just put it on the shelf because you don't you can find the audience. Yeah, it's it's wild. wild. Yeah. So, um, I don't know how we got here from here. Oh, because here. we were wondering how on earth they could release this during the oh, pandemic. Oh, why they would release it. That's right, that's right, that's right. We, we open... Uh, with Harold and Franny on the road. Yeah, I guess we should talk a little bit about a thing that I don't think we were explicit about in the last episode, which, which was, was the, the uh, pseudo-sex scene that Nadine has with Flag, mm-hmm. uh, wherein he tells her to kill Mother Abigail, all five of the people on the committee, and... Yeah. Uh, use Harold's to do it. So Harold's the weapon, and such as it is, she's the match. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know what this metaphor is. Uh, so that happened at the end of the last episode. So that is what we're coming into this episode for. Now we had thought we would get some Tom and Nick. We get most of that in this episode, right? But, but um, still not very much. Still not very much. Mm-hmm. Enough to well, I don't know that they're giving us enough of anything at this point. Without the source material in the former miniseries, Mm -hmm. I don't really... We get pretty attached to Tom in this episode, but they're using some tropes that are tricks to make Mm -hmm. that happen. Um, Let's start at the start. They're they're prepping for a community meeting. 
So we see everybody prepping for that, getting dressed and putting on their Sunday best. And they're going to make Stu talk because everybody loves an accent. He doesn't have an accent, he says. He's from Texas, so of course he has an accent. Um, We see Larry dumping those pills down the sink. Which uh, is good. We haven't seen. We hadn't seen what had happened to right. his best friend, duffel bag, <laughs> a duffel bag full of drugs. Uh, but this is apparently is what happened uh, to it. So then we go to the meeting, and they want to give some information, some updates. Um, and one of those updates is a request to, or uh, is when people people are yelling at them like, "What happened to that guy?" Mm-hmm. The guy that had come to their town, crucified and died. Right. Uh, and then um, there's a little tiny bit of, well, who put you guys in charge? <laughs> Even though everybody knows who put them, them guys in charge. And then uh, Harold, uh, well, first, Stu is tripping over himself because Stu is not a public speaker. And then Larry takes the mic and calms the crowd down because, right. of course, he does because he was. A performer. A performer. Right. Why would you give the microphone to Stu? Because he's white? In the well, book, that's not an issue. But like, <laughs> In this case, Stu is, is sort of the moral center in a lot of ways. For yeah, the that's what I hear. And, and so he's just, he, how can I put it? Stu's almost dull. He, he's not almost dull. He's, he is dull. And I would argue that he is written that way in the book as no, well. He, I'm sure that he, he is. He is supposed to be... Neutral, right. like just he's the average plain. person who is <laughs> he, he's not because the rest of the, the, the characters in this group have special characteristics, yes. Um, Even if Franny's special characteristic is solely carrying a child, <laughs> but they all have something else that's going on with them, and not so with Stu. But uh-uh. Stu play, has to be this sort of salt of the earth everyman, yeah, with a moral conscience. And and so he's not good at this kind of thing, but I like the fact that again we're seeing more so I felt than in the original uh, stand, which we're constantly having to compare this to. Who we have to is that um, more so in this film we're seeing the group work together to make decisions. Yes, and Franny's. Uh, I really appreciate the fact that Franny is a bigger part. A of bigger this. part of it, absolutely. And the fact that yes, there was it was very clumsily introduced. Why she can sign? Why she can sign? But she is working as an interpreter mm-hmm. now in all of the meetings between the right. council, which we are seeing, which we we didn't really see before. Right. Um, I agree with you. I think that is good, and I. It's another thing where I'm like, more of that would probably be be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. It the the macro structure of this thing is still baffling to me. Mm. Like, why did they decide on the amount of time or the amount of episodes they were going to have? Why did they break them in the way that they've broken them? I, we still don't know. Uh, but at um, at this meeting, Harold stands up in his, you know, Sunday best and basically nominates that the council should just stay in charge forever. It literally is a forever thing. And I'm like, Good. not for like a year, like forever. Forever seems like a long time. Uh, and everybody kind of goes along with that. Um, and then they also say that they think that the the power 
team, the, the team of people who are working on getting the power back on say that they want to meet back at this meeting spot, whatever, whatever this is. Yeah. I don't know if it's like City Hall or I don't know. On Friday, this coming Friday night. Um, and they're about to turn the power back on. And that gives you the now frame, this the time framing for the now section of this episode because right. it ends right. when they turn the power back on. Well, it ends with something happening during the meeting that, um, really, but we can't get to that yet because there's all the middle part. There's the Wait, but it's, it's when mm-hmm. they turn, it's that time that they turn the power on. But, yeah, but God, yes, it's, this is also, again, so labored. I really wish they would go with a more linear version of storytelling. Yeah. Because it's, I, I suppose the idea is to switch up events chronologically. And I, I, they want to keep you interested. Like, interested, but at the same time, I'm just getting lost a lot of times. It, it is. And, and I want them to do... Even if I should know that this is four months earlier, tell mm-hmm. me that anyways. Right. Just tell me that anyway. Tell me when along the... the the track we are. Right. So, um, after the meeting breaks up, we see uh, Harold outside of his house and Nadine comes upon him. Mm-hmm. And then she seduces him, I guess, is what happens. Well, it's painful Ooh. to watch. So, she's like, you're a virgin, huh? I'm also a virgin. I, you know that dude you dream of? And he's like, what guy? And she's like, don't, I don't, we don't have time right. for this. Uh I'm going to be his queen, but you and I can do all the other things that aren't actual, you know, P and V sex. <laughs> um, Out and of course. we should take, uh, yeah, I'm surprised she didn't fucking present anal as an option. Oh, she did not present anal right. as an option, but she didn't yeah. have to do any of that because she, she just kind of sits on that. his lap and he finishes and then apologizes, which... Which is, in this, and again, we're allowed to be more explicit with this version because it's cable and because it's... Well, not even later. cable. It's it's not it's streaming. Right. You had to pay to watch um, this thing. I think that there's no... She immediately starts criticizing it yeah. for it. And I'm not sure that... I, again, have not read the book. I'm not sure how much more encouraged she would be if she just sort of mocks him for it. It's made a lot more sense when... You yeah, know, in the I, other version, she's like conciliatory, and it's okay. You know, we've got all the time in the world, right, and exactly. we'll we'll have other but chances. Just to sort and of be kind of cruel yeah. to him about it. I don't know that would she's be really a real bitch in this. Yeah, and and I'm just like a yeah. teacher, a teacher though, right? Because the only teacher I could see her being is like bad teacher that Cameron Diaz movie or whatever. Right. Yeah, like she's. She seems to have. She seems to be a psychopath. Right. Well, it's, it's, she's not, <laughs> and she only gets worse through this episode. So and she's not doing anything that makes you like her in any no. way. Or I, and she's not charming. That's the I'm other thing. I'm not buying like, this. You know, last the hottest woman on earth. I'm not buying that. I'm also not buying that somehow that even if she was, that would overcome her personality. Yeah, no, that's the thing. That's where I'm getting stuck, because mm-hmm. I understand that beauty will get you a lot of places. But she's, like, actively cruel to everyone, yeah. and I'm just like, except or Joe. Or indifferent. Or indifferent. Yeah, yeah, just like, I don't, if, you, if you're not here to do something for me. And I don't know if that's the fault of the writing or the fault of the actress. 
And the seems actress, like it might be how she just is. Right. She's bringing a lot of her personal baggage. Allegedly, she, allegedly, allegedly. Right. <laughs> uh, she's bringing a lot of her personal baggage, and that's the unfortunate part. We now know a lot about her personality, and yeah. that doesn't help inform yeah. the way that we're seeing this performance either. Correct. Yeah. So, um, so that happens. And then we get a couple of flashbacks. Mm-hmm. We get a flashback to Harold telling Fran in the middle of the night, um, uh, by, by a campfire that he loves her and it, they were meant to be. And she's just like, no, I don't feel that way for you. I'll never feel that way for you. Right. Uh, and then he says, is this about Stu, a man that she talked to for 15 and a half seconds? No, he's clearly right. Right. No, it's, cl- I mean, it's clearly, well, what, he, what, what Harold now knows is mm-hmm. they are not the last two people on earth right. and he definitely isn't going to win next to Stu. Yeah. Now, frankly, I, I'm not saying that Fran should fall in love with Stu. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, like that it's a no brainer and that that should definitely happen. But I guarantee you as a woman, Harold makes Franny feel uncomfortable all of the time right. in a way that Stu does not. Yeah. And so even if I don't fall in love with Stu, I definitely prefer his company because I don't feel like I have to be literally on guard around yeah, exactly. you at all times. Yeah, I don't understand how she can fall asleep near the campfire with creepy... I uh, mean, here's Harold. the thing, though. I think she knows that he's not... He's he's both not physically strong enough, right. probably, unless he well, incapacitated her in some too. way, exactly, um, to do anything physical to her. Right. Yeah, he probably sniffs her at really inappropriate times. Absolutely, oh, that's God, happening. Thank you for that picture. But that's like, revolting. that's not going to no, hurt her, and I need happening. to get my sleep. I, there's a baby inside right. me, which he, Harold doesn't know at this point, mm. uh, but Stu does. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Um, and you know she's got to get her sleep. So, at, at, but but you know she's not sleeping easy at any point. I don't know that she'd sleep easy at any point, anyways. But certainly not with Harold in the in the picture here. Uh, and then we get another flashback, sort of right right on the heels of that one, mm-hmm. and it is. It is unclear. This is this is my a little bit of my problem. It is unclear how much time has passed since the previous flashback okay. to this. For all intents and purposes, it's the same goddamn day. Right. Uh, and it might actually be the same day now that I'm thinking about it because Stu met Glenn right at like the next day or whatever yeah. after he met uh, Fran and. Harold and was only been with him for a, a short time when he sees these paintings, right? Yeah. That's f- the first night there. So this might just be like two days later. That okay. that might be where we're at. And we see Glenn and Stu and they are packing up and they're going to try and meet up with Harold and Fran and travel to Boulder. Like mm. that is now their plan, right? And they know that he's heading to Atlanta, and I don't, yeah, we, we know that he's heading to Atlanta because he wants to go to the CDC. And Stu knows, oh, he, although Stu already said, this not, mm-hmm. don't, 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 don't I, I have reason to believe that that is not a thing anymore, but I don't believe that Harold took that to heart. I think he was still gonna 
go there. I think that's still their plan. So they're still on the East Coast. It's, it's, this is a significant amount of time ago. Mm. And uh, we see, so we see Gwen and Sue packing up their stuff and they're talking about when they think that they think that they're going to be able to meet up with them today. And like I said, I don't know if they've been on the road for a couple of days. Right. I don't, I don't know. It's, they don't, the filmmakers don't want me to know. <laughs> Some time has passed. And then we um, go over to where Fran and Harold are, where they have to stop their motorcycles. And because there is a semi truck parked in the middle of the road. And they've got to find a way to move it because they cannot get by. Now, the scene is rough. This scene felt like a scene from The Walking Dead. This scene felt like this is our Walking Dead scene. Did you feel that way at all? I. This was, and I think it was a necessary scene, as horrible as it is, Mm -hmm. because we haven't got the sense really what we got was. um, Yeah, because I'm not. This is supposed to be a horror situation, and I have not been spared. We have been spared the, or really effective scene from the 1994 version, which is walking through the tunnel Mm -hmm. full of corpses. Mm -hmm. It's been gory, but it hasn't been. You don't feel the sense of danger in the Yeah, I don't feel threatened. I don't feel. Mostly because. For some bizarre reason and choice, we're not seeing The Walking Man. Yeah, we're not. We haven't we're, seen Randall mm-hmm. Flagg hardly at all. Right. And, and we, we haven't seen anyone in Vegas. Right. We know that Lloyd, had, Lloyd Henry got out. Mm-hmm. But he's not. I'm sorry. He's not a scary man. Yeah. Uh, we see him. He is a child and a fuck up. And he will maybe shoot somebody without paying any kind of he's attention kind of, to it. Right, but, but that's not menacing. He's the sort me. of person who's dangerous out of absolute abject terror of everything. Mm-hmm. He's not a person who's dangerous, and this is a difference between him and, and Miguel Ferrer. Who Miguel Ferrer's portrayal of the character is not somebody who's evil, but a survivor and will do anything to survive. Right. We, we haven't seen whether or not right. Nat Wolf will do that. Because right now, he's a survivor, but in a more pathetic way, right. more sniveling way. Although I would argue that, unfortunately, Miguel Ferrer's voice disallows him from sounding certain ways. Yes. <laughs> like, it just, when he wouldn't, I don't think snivel yeah. is a thing his voice would have allowed him to do. Um so that might just be a trick of the a yeah. trick of the eardrums a rather than thing. He can't a sell thing. That. So, so this scene we see from the inside of the cab of this truck, mm-hmm. this man who is slumped over uh, the truck steering wheel, open his eyes, and we realize this is not a douchebag who you know decided to park his park for the last time, fucking everybody else up, which. I guarantee you there will be people like that when the end of the world comes, mm-hmm. but uh, is in fact is in, has in fact set a trap. Right. Now, a question for you. Yeah. Um, did you know it was a trap when you first saw it? I didn't. Because my first instinct was, this is a trap. And I, 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 I didn't, but know. I don't know that I was paying attention before yeah. I saw him open his eyes. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a lot of time and, to think. Maybe it's growing up in Oakland. I don't know. But it just came across as a trap. And I kept thinking, why, isn't, why doesn't he have the presence of mind to know there's something suspicious about this? Because he's gotten complacent now. Right. He's not gotten complacent. I think that he really doesn't have... 
like he'll do dumb things. Like when he's spying on Franny and gets beaten up, it's because he's literally crouched over looking through a knothole with his ass sticking out in this yeah, alleyway. Yeah, yeah, not, not a lot he of self-preservation. He does not have a lot of thing. sense of self-preservation. And I think that part of what Franny is seeing is that he's taking on this role of being the man protector. And here... And he is not in any way. woefully short right. of that because... Which is fine. Which is fine. Unless you portray yourself to be that and, right. you know, and claim... You know, chest out that that is what you are, but and, and the, it makes the, you. I mean, he he's he has a gun. He's armed. He is armed. Um, at no point is he like a threat. Being cautious about it, though, it's like you have a weapon. You yeah, could've... I'm waiting for him to shoot his dick off, which there's, is a line in this <laughs> in this episode. Actually, there's two or three things he could have done at this point in the beginning to just go. This looks hanky. Let's mm-hmm. not deal with it. Mm-hmm. And instead, he just kind of pushes along because in his man, in this mentality of his, unlike he's um, smarter than everybody. The survivors of of uh, Walking Dead, no, very early in the beginning, the, the rock star. I'm sorry. For his oh, name Larry. Unlike Larry, who in the very beginning is meeting madmen wandering the streets and he heard machine gun yeah, fire. Yeah, no, they were the last ones right. in Ogunquit, and they haven't seen anybody other than Stu. Right, exactly. So they haven't. It's like. He's acting like he's prepared for this brave new or horrible new world. But, but he hasn't seen this right. horrible new world, yeah. Whereas Larry was like, oh yeah, there's people out there who are going to do horrible things and we have to run. And also there's a sense of, and it might sadly be just because they have to cast an African-American actor. But the notion that he's a little bit more on the ball with things can go wrong and I need to be ready. Yeah. Which was a, a just reason... A, a just mm. by virtue of being a black man right. in America, where you know at any time, really, something could Which go wrong, something and I need George to be ready. Romero did, God bless him, when he did yes, Night Living Dead. Yes, that's right. It's like he had not written this as a black character, but it occurred to him as he's going through this really good screen test with this actor, yes, it would make more sense if somebody knows in that period, 1960. I love I that he didn't write it as a black actor. Right. And I love whoever got the act, the black actor in the room. Right. Because the idea that in 1950... Well, well 1968 or something. No, 1960. Okay. Right. So 1967, that in a blind casting call with no race attached, right. a main character, an, a, a fairly he was a fairly unknown right. person, too, yes. would get in front of the director well, the in a way that, that would make them... Here's a man who'd only... Uh, George Romero, who'd been making industrial films. Okay. And like, he, uh, you know, this is how you write a forklift right. or whatever? Like right, that? Exactly. Okay. Stuff like that. And he put together a budget for a horror movie, because what? Horror movies make money. But he had a taste for it. Yeah. And so he makes this film, and it just occurs to him, if he wants the guy who like has the survival instincts right off the bat, it would make sense to have it be a black man, especially uh-huh. in that period of time. Yeah. And yeah. so... Because um, shit's about to pop up. Right. <laughs> Like, so literally all the time. That adds so God, much the more. the amount of stress mm-hmm. on black bodies in this country for so long that is... That made much more of an impact when you're watching the film, particularly with the really downbeat ending. You're going, yeah, that makes a lot more sense than, than suddenly just a guy who shows up and knows what right. to do. Unless Instead, he was in the military. Right. And because of what... When it was. Right. That's not something was that... Was that going to be a thing? Yeah. I don't remember if the characters written that way. I know that he just has a lot of street smarts like, here, uh, we don't have any weapons, but we can fill this bottle full of gasoline and put a rag in it. Like, he was a student activist or something. There was a lot of yeah. skill sets he exhibits. Right. And when we look at this version of Larry, there's an undercurrent There's a little that, bit of that, yeah. Where it's... But at the, at the same time, though, ironically, maybe, yeah. he's following Harold. Yeah. 
and thinks that Harold has his shit together. Right, exactly. Which and is actually a really good. Um, I like that, and good. it's a, yeah, it's 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 one of the what five pillars that they tried to give Harold to hold on to and not sink into an incel explosion well, or you know bombist kind of what... lifestyle. In this one, it's 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 rough. It really right. starts making me feel like are am I tr- are you trying to is this the Joker? Right. Are you trying to joker me right the fuck now? Well, like, I am I supposed to be on Harold's side when he fucking likes I his I don't appreciate bomb? how much screen time Harold is getting when I really want to see the other characters. But what I do appreciate is the fact that it's making it so that you see, as we've discussed before, that he has every opportunity to earn the respect, the love, and admiration of all these he people. He does. But he also, and because we right. keep seeing that, well, I'm saying I'd like to see more of right. literally everyone else. Yeah. It makes me think that the filmmakers are jokering me. Now, y'all, I have not seen Joker, and I, uh, I will choose. I will continue to choose to not see I, Joker. <laughs> I have. I like the performance, but everything, that's the thing. I think Joaquin yeah. Phoenix is a great actor. I will watch him in something else. He's problematic too. But the issue that I had with the movie is just that every beat in the film I've seen before mm-hmm. with somebody else. In it. Yeah, I've seen Robert De Niro, who's actually in Joker. I've seen him play a part like this in King of New York. I've seen... Oh, not Taxi Driver. Well, and, and there's an element of Taxi Driver, too. You can say okay. that, too. Well, like I but, said, I haven't seen it, so but, and um, I haven't watched King of New York. So. Uh, but it's like I've seen other actors do really do good performances this, yeah. with this character, and this film seems to be taking scenes from other films mm. and putting them together and so that the twists in this movie are really predictable. Got you. And so it's so it's maybe just, not for me if I haven't seen these other movies, but that's not a thing to but, hang but your hat on. Yeah, it just it seemed like I, I really this performance is amazing. It is ballsy to me for mm. a filmmaker to just be like, "Oh no, it'll be fine." This is the first movie any of these people will have ever seen. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, what? No. Um. But yeah, I, I I do appreciate the fact that Harold is made out to be, and we should go back to the yeah. Carpet. We should go. So the so the scene. We see that he has he opens his eyes mm-hmm. and this is a trap. Uh, then we see Franny putting her hands up and saying, mm-hmm. um, "I don't think she says anything." Whoa, maybe I don't yeah. I don't know, um, or maybe just like "Don't shoot, don't shoot," something like that. And that's when Harold stops and sees that there is a very large man right. with a with a uh, very out of date facial hair situation. Mm. He's got like mutton chops. Yeah. Very strange. Uh, and he is, I mean, he's a hundred percent a Trumper. If I've ever heard one, he calls them snowflakes like three right. times. Like it's definite. He's definitely trying to make America great again. So his, he goes on a screed with his gun on, uh, I think he handcuffs both of them and he forces Fran down onto her knees next to two other women who he has pulled out of the back of the semi mm-hmm. to show off his wares or whatever. Right. Uh, and basically goes on a little tirade of how this virus came and destroyed the world because uh, there were too many soft men, mm-hmm. which is... Well, and now we're returning right. to nature. And he's the alpha. This guy, yeah, and just using those terms, he's using incel. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And so, yeah, the, and he is yeah. what Harold has claimed to be. Right, exactly. And immediately, Harold is begging for his life. Mm-hmm. He is 
uh, he they get in a fight. Basically, this dude yeah, decides some, they're going to fight club. Now, this is to, the bravest to get the women. The, you know, supreme gentleman in the world. He's so brave he fights a guy literally half, half his, size. his size. If that, yeah, no, right. this dude, yeah, weighs a lot more than Harold does. Uh, and but he, they're going to fight for ownership of these women. Basically, right. is what it is, right? And uh, you can see these women that Franny is now next to have been through it. Yes. Uh, and the, the dude hits Harold real hard. Harold goes down, but gets back up. And then he's, and then the dude like gives him one of the, you know, the mm-hmm. finger waves and Harold hits him pretty fucking hard in the, for him. I think right. he did his best. In the face, causes him to bleed, you know, breaks skin on mm-hmm. uh, probably his lip, busted his lip or whatever. And then that dude st- stands up and laughs, and Harold immediately starts apologizing, which is so. Oh, Lord, yeah. I'm just like, well, that's it. Like, yeah. are you fucking. Like, you're dead now. Like, I don't know what you think is going to happen here. And then we. The fight get, the fight goes on a little bit longer, and then we uh, they are interrupted by the uh, oncoming traffic. <gasps> oncoming traffic. There are other people in this world. Uh, we've got Glenn and Stu coming on up the road. This is what Harold needs. Stu saving the day. <laughs> if your fate wasn't sealed before, it is it now. Is now. You just, uh, you've seen the future, and it's not you. The wep- weapons are fired back and forth. F- they, they, he fires at the truck coming, and they stop right. and get out. And um, and then there no, is, this, he is uh, the, the big the dude mm, that they're fighting, whose Goliath. name I do not know. Sure, he could be Goliath. That, mm-hmm. that works. And uh, weapons are dislodged and... Um, the two women try and get the gun away from them, and one of them inadvertently shoots the other one, which is rough. <laughs> um, or the gun goes off, right. you know, while they're struggling over it or something like that. Uh, and then Fran makes a good move. She kicks a gun away from him, which mm-hmm. I was like, thank you for not just standing there. Right. <laughs> um, and I think who ends up shooting him? No one, uh, he is conked over the head by Dana. That's right. Dana gets the. Just beats the living hell out of him. Gets a pipe. She brings and, him. Yeah, and she. Over oh, the yeah. crowbar. Crowbar, um, okay. Now, I liked. Dana just shows up in the first adaptation of this. Yes, no, yeah, we don't who, see her. Kelly Overby, who was an actor I immediately fell in love with, mm-hmm. uh, she just shows up in one scene and then she's, oh, well, this is, you know a member of the story uh, cast or the story that really becomes very important. And I remember when we first saw it, it's like, why would you just introduce her and two other characters who wind up being you, important? In the book, they uh-huh. have their entire storyline. Right, exactly. They, like, Dana and mm-hmm. maybe even the judge, these are all, you know, trails that we actually get as long as we get Larry and Stu and, all. you know, we may pick them up a little bit later, but they're, we get their whole stories all the way through. And that's one thing we have to remember, that when Mick Garris did this stand in 1994, he was not a terribly experienced director. Okay. Um, and so he had a habit of staging this almost like a play. People walk in stage right, make a declaration, walk in stage left, and that's why you got some weird performances in that first one. This time... Um, 
I really appreciate the fact that now we know who Dana is and what she's capable of yeah. because she does a really ballsy thing by the end of the story. Yeah, she does. So she and, yeah. um, she is played by Natalie Martinez. So they've also made her a woman of color, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good idea, bad idea. Right. When she definitely, it's this. I believe that rape storyline is from the book. Okay. So I think w- then we see then then they're they're all together right. and we see them all continue. So that's mm-hmm. why I think th- something very similar to this right. is where we I pick mean, this, her up. this is very much like the Cormac McCarthy segment of you know it felt like a, something out of the road. And I'm trying to figure out why I know her, but I she was under the dome. She was. was she yes. the, she's the cop. She's yeah. the deputy. 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 That's she's right. Deputy. That's right. She looks different in this. I mean, it's been five yeah, she's years. She's not a kid anymore. She's not a kid anymore. That's, and that's part of it. Also yeah. playing up the fact, that, and she comes across as a badass. And as I said, that's really useful because later on. And that was the fault of the original uh, adaptation in that she just comes out of nowhere and then does you're not prepared for how brave she was. How brave she is, yeah. Yeah. And here you're aware of the fact that and there's something else that happens. When given the option she can Right. She will switch the turns and she's gonna be you know, and I I appreciate that. I'm a little I'm I'm floored by that too, because I'm just like, how did this guy overtake her? The way that For all this these, long, all these you know guys what I mean? do, which is I to mean, do it yeah. by surprise, right? You know, surprise, not, and it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if we find yeah. out that they're drugged at different right. points and things like that. So, yeah. And um, he also had a really big gun, and they probably did not. So, yeah. Um. But so she, um, then we see them sort of all talking that night. They're so uh-huh. they're there, and they basically decide that they're gonna. It's basically, are we all have? Are you guys? Ha- you guys are having the dreams. He painted you, like all right. this stuff, right? And Harold doesn't love it. Glenn has a really good. Greg Kinnear is probably my favorite right now. Uh-huh. He's really doing it for me. I'm really liking what they're doing with the uh, the, the 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 Glenn character. Uh-huh. And he, you know, tells. Um, he he basically professors Harold. Right. Just being like, you and I, we are men of science. And we have problems with belief because there's no proof. And then he goes on yeah. to, you know, Which basically is, I like that the, argument I on him. I love the... the <laughs> the anti-scully rationale if I can call it that which is like we need proof and now we have proof and what are we going to do with it? And I love the fact yeah. that that's that's where he went with it. It's like, I don't necessarily believe all of it, but I know that if you were saying to me, show me something I can't explain away, and then you have now, so right. I can make the choice of ignoring it. Yeah, or then, going, then we're hypocrites. Right. Then, then we're, we're hypocrites. Not. So, yeah. Uh, and he's every time we see him, you got to vape in his hand. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Um and I guess they all decide, and then Franny, you know, basically confides in Sue that she's pregnant, even though he already, does. He already knows. Yeah. But, and she wasn't, she says, I wasn't hiding it. I just haven't told anybody yet. Then she says, except her dad. And I'm wondering if she told him before or after he died. Oh, that's and true. And I, I kind of expected us to find out. Um, I mean, might. There's still five. Or there's still five episodes. Five episodes left. Yeah. So then we are uh, back in in the now, mm-hmm. and Boulder. There, 
they're talking about basically revamping the police. They're they're refunding the police. <laughs> so they um they basically are like shit could get dangerous. We need to have yeah, people looking out for stuff. A possessed and or crazy person. Yeah. They're still not very big on the idea that he actually was, you know, yeah. possessed by another person. But we do have the evidence that somebody tortured him to death. Yes. Yeah, so he, you know, they, they decide that they're going to do this new crew. It's not police, mm-hmm. um, but it's like a community safety officers, I guess right. would be the best thing. And uh, they want the body crew to, to sort of switch over to that because the, they've basically cleared out what needed clearing out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now there's just this chunk of workers who are available right. for work and this seems like a good thing they're going to do and the uh there's a uniforming and they're not they're like given like well, they're like I, I reflective like vests they or something it's not like cops school crossing guards they do yeah which i think is really cute yes and uh you know teddy is giving Stu grief sort of good-naturedly mm-hmm. he's like why why don't we have police uniforms and Sue's like, because you aren't police, there are no laws. We don't have any laws. <laughs> so, uh, you know, right now it's do as thou wilt is the yeah. whole of the law. And uh, they, and he says, well, can we at least have guns? And he's, and, and Sue's like, Teddy, there are guns lying around. They're everywhere. Right. If you want a gun, get you a gun. But I, if you shoot your dick off, I'm not taking you to the doctor. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You don't really have a doctor. You have a vet, I think. There's a vet. There's right. a vet tech. There's one doctor. Right. Because it's the one who did Franny's oh, ultrasound. Oh, that's right. Her ultrasound. Um, and I don't even know. She was probably a resident. <laughs> like, she was pretty young. And yeah. then the dude that's helping her is a vet. So, yeah. Uh, and then we are go- when then we go to the spy meeting. Spy meeting. Which is not a spy meeting. It's a council meeting. And they talk about sending spies to Vegas. They say that they're not even going to bring it up with Mother Abigail because we know she's going to say no. Mm. And there is a scene later between Abigail and Nick. And I can't tell if it's after this meeting and so she's heard it through Nick, Uh which is, you know, how she gets stuff, like how she is communicated to by them. Or if this is a prior conversation I that think Nick after, had had with can't her, be 100% it's, it's after in the episode. But that because yeah. they're doing the time jumps, that it's that doesn't really mean anything. Although I think when they're doing their time jumps, they're both staying they're in, inconsistent timeline, right? timeline wise, or like um, forward or back wise. And uh, so they are talking about who. Oh, and oh, and that scene is Abigail and Nick, and she is like, we don't know what's out there, and we shouldn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, really? And that's also all, one of the only two scenes with Mother Abigail this yeah. time, and it's maybe 15 seconds long. Yeah. Uh, and they talk about who they should get to go. And the first one nominated is Dana. And the second one nominated is Judge Ferris, who in this is played uh, by a woman, mm-hmm. Gabrielle Rose, a Canadian film and stage actress. 
I don't know if it's... Yeah. And then the last person they bring up, and they are loath to do so, is Tom. Yeah. And they all agree, yeah, Tom Cullen. I don't... I, like, I don't like that I want to say it, but I... Like, it makes a lot of sense. And... You know, then Nick says, Tom will surprise you. And then we go to the flashback with Nick and Tom. And this is the Julie Lowry scene that you were so excited about. Yes. Uh, Actually, it wasn't that bad. It was... It wasn't as ridiculously over the top as... Um, the first version of it, but actually, Shawnee really Smith doing a great a job. Cackling, running around. <laughs> Although I would argue that this woman is doing Shawnee Smith doing the character. Well, but she's also doing a more realistic version of it. It's not like you know. Yeah. Shawnee Smith at the end of her segment in the original film, she practically jumps on the broomstick and rides it away. She, yeah, no, it's crazy. She really does it. It's wild. Um, but uh, but yeah, this one is actually it was pretty good. I think. Yeah. yeah, no, I think she's good. Uh, she gets to use the word Phoebe and the word fag. Sorry, everyone. There's a lot of ableism yeah. and uh, homophobia. Well, in that it. tells you exactly the kind of person she is right off the bat. Uh, they're in, it looks like a Costco or something like right. that. And uh, something with both furniture and like groceries. Mm-hmm. And it, But it looked like a warehouse. And... Uh, we see Nick and Tom, and Tom is sort of singing and dancing his way through the aisles, trying on different things, talking about how he wished they could ask Mother Abigail for directions because they don't know what Hemingford home is. Right. It's not a city. And so they're like, we don't know how to get there or, or where to even go. Uh, and he says, too bad we can't ask Mother Abigail. I guess that's not the way it works. And yeah. I'm like... Except I think Nick could probably ask her in one of these dreams. But whatever. Um, and then, yeah, the this chick comes up on Nick, uh, realizes that he's deaf, does not care, starts making out with him anyway. Yeah. Tom shows up and she pulls the gun on him. And then we go through the almost the identical... We tell he can't read. Right. Like he gives his little speech, which I love that speech. I love the way that he gives it. Um. Oh, and then she says something like, "What are you a feeb or whatever?" And he says, "Like Mrs. Christensen says that labels are limits or something like that." And like the way that he reads that right. line, I'm like, "Yep." <laughs> like yeah. he worked with some people because I know people who sound exactly like that uh and this is where he finds out that his his friend's name is nick andros and the way that he communicates that little bit of knowledge is very sweet my friend nick these two because like we said this is the hard yeah this is the hardest this doesn't work if it doesn't work and these two kind of they pull it off they do a really good job they do a really good job yeah he's um He's very, Tom Cullen's very verbal in this one. Yes. Uh, he just doesn't stop talking. He never stops talking. And he's playing a, a completely different vibe, like I said, I really, that I appreciate, because you can't repeat that original Yeah, yeah Bill Fagerbacher was slow. Mm-hmm. Tom Cullen in this is not slow. Right. That is not the word that we would he's use. He's just operating on some him. other weird, well, weird, I should He's just that. doing his best out he's here. He's doing his best. Realizing his limitations at the same time. Yeah. Mm. Right. Uh, 
and she, you know, does you know, she fires. She, I don't remember. Like he goes, Nick goes to leave. Oh, because she's like, it's him or me, and Nick's like, well, fucking no right. deal. <laughs> like, <laughs> not a, no what? And uh, so then she gets mad, and uh, but in this one, I don't remember this happening quite as clearly in the first one. Uh, you know, she cocks the gun, uh-huh. and Tom hears it and dives. Like dives and covers Nick and gets him out of the way uh-huh. because Nick can't. He's not. Right. See, he's not looking. He's walking away from her, and I don't remember it being in that explicit. One, I can't remember. One. I know that she like gets up to a second story window. Wait, and she's firing down at right. them, and this one, she um, she's on the floor with them, so mm-hmm. they are able to hide in the aisles right. and then leave. And then as soon as they hit the door and go across the street. Right. You know, she stops at the door for no reason. She's not a vampire. She can come out into the sun. I don't well, know. Well, I think that she probably doesn't want to go chasing them. No, this, she doesn't uh, want to kill them. She just doesn't want them there anymore. Right. I guess that's... And she wouldn't mind if they died, I guess, is the mindset. And uh, they hide inside of a bus shelter. And Tom is like, I'm really sorry that didn't work out. It might, I know it would have been nice for you if there was a girl along with us, which is mm. like, yeah. like very sweet. And then they see a sign, and it's our cameo from our author. Stephen King is in this poster uh-huh. uh, for Hemingford Home, a senior living center. And, um, like, Nick reads it and, like, is, like, exuberantly happy and hugs Tom. And Tom's like, what? Because <laughs> like, <what? laughs> he can't read, you may recall. Right. So, uh, so that's how they've switched it um, in this one, uh, and then uh, we see Abigail, and she's in like the sitting room of right. an assisted living facility, and there are bodies sit propped up in the chair in the chair next to her on the couch beside her, with um, lace over their faces because you know as they pass, there's nobody there to move them. Yeah. They can't, you know. And she's talking to them and just like, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think anyone's coming and I don't think I'll survive another, another day. Like she is, she hasn't, she hasn't been able to take her medicine. Mm-hmm. She hasn't been, I don't think, able to eat or drink anything. Like, so she's like, well, we had a good run or whatever. And then that's when Nick and Tom come in and. See, even that little bit adds so much to her character. It does. It does. And so I, I'm just, and this is something we were discussing More earlier. More Is that there isn't enough of her, and there, there's two great towering antagonists to this story and all the little people, and we're not getting the conflict between good and evil as represented no. by Mother Abigail and The Walking Man. No, that's true. And so far, and I know that he's capable of Bill Skarsgård, is it Bill? Uh, Alex. Alex. Bill, oh, Bill is Pennywise. Okay. This is Alexander. Alexander Skarsgård. I know that he's capable of giving more nuance to his performance of someone evil. Oh, for sure. But he's not given a lot to do. He has right given. There. He's been. He's been given less than an, a minute of screen time. I think at this point, maybe two minutes. Uh, we well, no longer because oh. he has the conversation with. Um, the character in prison. With Lloyd, but how much is he actually on screen? I, I, I I'm not even, I'm talking uh, about when we see right. him. 
So we can hear his voice. So there's, yes, that is performance there for sure. But we don't see, they're not giving us a lot of him. It's a lot of feet, Mm -hmm. a lot of silhouette. Right. Not a lot of face. But even even with Mother Abigail, we're not given much time with her either. So we're not developing these two people who are supposed to be the anchor points. Yeah. The opposing points in this story. Yeah. And and it's suffering for that because right now it is very much like The Walking Dead. There's not a moral compass that they're necessarily being they're being drawn to it, but but we don't it's we don't know it's almost unbelievable because it's like well what 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 is Mm. this even this is not anything Uh, and and we hear from the the other thing that we get is at the beginning of this uh, scene is that they think that Tom will do it because he loves Mother Abigail maybe more than most he's over at her house like Mm. every day right. and then we see Tom at his orientation, at the conversation that he they're having with him. Uh, and we have seen these in sort of cut things where the Dana comes in and she's like, so you want me to drive over there by myself, <laughs> spend however much time, and then come back un- like by myself and not get caught in this, that, and the other? And she's like, yeah, of course. I'll right. <laughs> and then the judge is like, uh, I understand why you're asking me because Larry, when, when Larry nominates the judge, one of the reasons is her age. Um, a, that he thinks she'll do it. And B, uh, her age because um, at least we're not losing somebody with 50 good years ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't even want to... Like, you could see he didn't want to say it. Like, he, the yeah. actor did a really nice job with that because he's like... I don't want to start valuing lives. I don't yeah. want to start making a hierarchy of who's most important. That's that leads to nothing good in this community or any community. So, uh, yeah, especially when times are super tight and there's not a lot of people, we don't need a ranked yeah. list of who should die first. Uh, and uh, and then we see Tom and Tom. Has glasses, has his glasses on, and he's got a little hat, and he's like, uh, so I go there, and I, uh, what do you tell them when you get there? I, tell, I rode all my, uh, I rode my bike all the way from whatever town in Oklahoma, and then he says, like, he yells, boomer sooner, <laughs> which is really cute, and then he never stops, he just, and he gives all of his directions, and then uh-huh. how do you know when to come back, and Nick signs Moon, uh-huh. and uh, he says, Oh, I come back when it's the full moon. M O O N. That spells full. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> that joke. I was like, that got me. I was like, right. ah. <laughs> like, I see you, writers. I see what you're doing. It should be said that he is not hypnotized. Mm. He is awake and having this conversation. Right. In the other one, they hypnotized him, they took away his agency. Well, I also think that they probably thought it would be easier if he was captured that he could have Abs- a layer That is of, absolutely yeah. why they yeah. did that. And still they took away his decision mm. to say yes or no to this. Uh, he does it and he's happy to do it. I mean, mm. he's not. Mm. But they go over the whole thing of if they send someone after you, what do you do? If there's more than one person, run. If there's mm-hmm. one person, kill them. Right. Like, and I love that's the way rough. they react to his saying, I'll yeah. kill them. 
Because they're aware of what they're asking him yeah. to do. This sort of guileless, innocent person yeah. is going to break someone's neck. Because yeah. he is physically he is strong. big and strong enough to do it. Yeah. But the idea that they're asking him to act outside of character. Yeah. And then we see um, the scene where Abigail is talking to Nick and saying we shouldn't send anyone. Mm-hmm. And then we see the judge and Dana and Tom off. And we should also say that there is discussion about Larry wanted to go. Uh, and no, it wasn't Larry. Was it Stu? Was it Stu who wanted to go? And mm-hmm. they were like, absolutely not. And he said, why? And I'm not more important than anybody else. And they were like, yes, right. you are. Right? So, oops, we made a hierarchy. We made a little list of people who were most important. But then Glenn was like, we're so visible. You can't just go. Right. People will be like, where did he go? And then they'll know that you're coming. Mm. Uh, And, you know, they'll be prepared for you before you even get there. So um, I like that they talked about that side of it, too, rather than it just being because we are one of the five anointed, which... (laughs) And this is where I remembered that... Fran is narrating this episode. Fran has narrated the first scene over Uh the first scene of the montage of people getting ready for the meeting. Uh, And she's narrating now. She's writing in a diary uh, that appears to be maybe to her child. Uh, Might be to Stu. It's unclear to me who she is writing to. Uh, But, or just a diary. It might just be a diary, like when you write your diary and then you direct Mm -hmm. it to you. It's unclear to me. Um, but she, so she's doing voiceover for all of these uh, scenes. Uh, and as she's doing some voiceover here about whatever she's talking about, it's not memorable. Uh, Harold and Nadine are going up the mountain because when Harold got his watch jacket, he um, found a map. And the map basically pointed them to where they kept the dynamite or the the explosives. It's not mm-hmm. even dynamite. It's like more powerful than dynamite right. that they used to set off avalanches on purpose, right? Like right. like uh, like control burns, measure. like mm-hmm. a control yeah. avalanche, which doesn't seem like a real thing. But okay, <laughs> not that they don't do some sort of mitigating measure, but a yeah. controlled avalanche doesn't seem like we don't have control over that. There's no way. And uh, they're going up the mountain to get these explosives because Harold wants to kill fucking everyone, apparently. At least six people, right? And uh, so he's with Nadine. Now this is the night at the same time is the festival, the power festival, I called it, uh, wherein hopefully the power comes back on and it's like 9.30 at night or whatever. Mm. And we know that the watch is going to be out tonight looking for buildings where they know that there isn't anybody right. and turning things off. Right, exactly. uh, they tried to turn the power off where they could, but they know that there They're are going to be... They're trying to prevent any drains. Any drains on those mm. things, yeah. Or anything, I mean, God forbid, if, you know, something that's going to... Un, unattended start a fire or something. Yeah. Uh, so... They, you know, we hear this countdown and we hear uh, Harold telling Nadine. Now, as as dismissive and mocking as Nadine was of Harold at the beginning, he uh, is equally so to her in this right. scene. They are 
antagonistic to each other at all times. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand how he, it's, She's it's like, you're a disgusting creep, and he, he's like, you're a dumb bimbo who right. is, you know, like, so far below me in intelligence as to not even be a person. It's wild. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'm not really enjoying that part of it because it doesn't seem like these two people would be together uh, for any reason. If he really does believe that about her, why is he... Well, because he's also a person who believes that everyone is lower than right. he is on the intelligence scale, right? Like, that's how mm. this... Or at least every woman. So, yeah, you know, one one is interchangeable for the next when they're all below you anyways, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. I don't... It doesn't make any sense to me, but... Uh, and the they count down the power and they flip a switch or whatever and then nothing happens. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. And then uh, 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 oh, oh, and the power's on. And there's a big cheers. And Larry plugs in his guitar and starts playing America the Beautiful. Which actually was a really nice moment. It was. That, that <laughs> did. There are moments when, and it happened in the original series too, where they capture something spontaneous like you feel people would in a situation like yeah. this. And that felt very much yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like he'd be like, "This is my Hendrix moment." Right. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. And at the same time, up in the mountains, the power comes on, and oh, Teddy and the watch is up here. He finds Nadine. He says, "How are you, the teacher? What do you what do you got? What have you got there? School supplies? Let me help you carry them." I'm like, "What the fuck is happening right now?" And then Harold comes, emerges with like a fistful of dynamite or whatever like he's got yeah. arms full of just clearly high explosives right. and he's Teddy's like Hawk what are you doing up here and it's like oh this is not going to end well and Harold basically freezes and looks guilty as hell and then Nadine shoots Teddy yeah Kills him right and in front of Harold Harold didn't do shit yeah. that was his friend that was a sad <laughs> moment too because you're watching all of the and, and I, I don't want to revisit the Mister Mercedes. We're going to follow a creep for an hour. I think though that this was a good moment because it made you realize once again watching whatever investment or capital he had in being a member of this community yeah. just sort of sliding through yep. his fingers. And here's the one guy who really wanted to be your friend. Yeah, and you just let him get killed. Yep, and the fact that he then will somehow sexually or, or emotionally submit to Nadine in the future. Just makes it all horrible, you know. Yeah, you don't have a core; you're hollow. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. So that's this episode. It led to lots of extraneous discussion. Everyone, we had a lot to say. Uh, I was expecting this episode to be much shorter than it turned out to be. Look how we surprised ourselves. Uh, Next week's episode we are watching is "Fear and Loathing in New Vegas," Uh, which um, I see it. I think we probably are going to go to Vegas. Finally, it might be just in the nature of this adaptation that we don't go to Vegas. It's just another tricksy surprise. I don't know that they would have Dana with a good introduction and then no end. That seems crazy to well, me. Well, I mean, eventually, <laughs> though. But, uh, yeah, I, again, I really, this is one of the things I appreciate better than the original or the other adaptation is having her be, oh, this is where she comes from. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. She's part of a, a, and this is her backstory, not just, oh, here she is. Isn't here she, she is. Here's the third person that we've right. just never talked about. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. It's like, uh, what were the two characters in Lost that just get introduced? Oh, uh, Pablo and Nikki or something. Yeah. And, and they were only there for like two episodes because everybody was like, right. like no. Why do we suddenly are deferring to these two new people as if they were here all along? Sure, you remember them, don't you? No, you, no. you don't. They weren't here. Don't lie to me. And sometimes when that happens, it was for a reason, and sometimes it was not for a reason. Right. It was very weird. We should rewatch Lost. Anyways. Yes, it's a lovely show. <laughs> Next week, we're going to watch Fear and Loathing in New Vegas. Until then, do you have anything you would like to recommend? You know, it depends. Uh-oh. It depends on who's listening to us right now. <laughs> I'm guessing if you are listening to a podcast right that, as of this moment, is about the work of Stephen King, horror movies don't put you off. But I saw a very interesting film on Hulu uh, called The Vigil. And I like stories about pri- primordial conflict between good and evil. Right? A right. film like The Exorcist is very hard to take at times because it's so there's so much other. But the struggle between these priests and this possessed or this demon over this girl is the most intriguing part of the movie. Don't need to see some of the other gross stuff that happens, but that's that's what makes the right really interesting. This is a film um, about a a former um, Orthodox Jew okay. who is asked to uh, help in a ritual in which you're supposed to like in a Jewish Orthodox ritual? community, yeah, okay. where you watch her with the body of a deceased person okay. through the night to make sure that no evil takes her body, which is a universal belief apparently. Right. So um, and they've now eased this down to the like sitting shiva or something right. like that. So what happens? <laughs> uh, it's a uh, he's a shormer. He sits and watches the body and says prayers to protect it if he thinks that. So it, essentially, he doesn't really believe that anything is going to happen as he watches the body of this old man, who was a Holocaust survivor, uh-huh. who suffered from a lot of um, distress in his survival and alienated himself from his family and everything. Uh-huh. Uh, and the only other person who's in the house is this man's widow. Okay. Who's, uh, who herself has dementia. Okay. And she's trying to convince him, and the previous drummer who does this job, and mispronouncing everything, just fled. And so this guy, our uh, character, Yakov Ronan, he's called in at the last moment to watch through the night. Uh, up until the... Orthodox uh, preparers come to take the body. Okay. And uh, and so he has a night of, as you would expect, horrible, horrible things that he right. sees. And he has to confront his own uh, past when he was too frightened to react to save someone from being uh, from an anti-Semitic attack. Okay. So it's a really interesting movie. I like the characters in it. I like investigating this kind of story from a different point of view. Right. Uh, just over on my shelf, more speaking, there's an anthology of horror stories, that, and there's one called V uh, by Gogol that has a similar story about a Catholic body, uh, uh, Orthodox, Roman Orthodox, uh, uh, Russian Orthodox body watching, a similar story. Okay. And over the course of the evenings, if they do that, it goes over several nights. These evil spirits come closer and closer to possessing this person, but they can only do it at night. They can't do it in the daytime. And this film condenses this to, you know... Um, this all in one night. All in one night. It's the Aristotelian yeah. kind of dramatic thing, you know, singularity of purpose, singularity of time period. 
it's all one guy in a room with these different levels of hallucination, and it's very firmly in the 21st century. He's trying to reach out with his phone, and he's getting messages that no one sent to him, including a message of himself sleeping, like it's been watching him. So there's some really great creepy moments, and that's not even that's not giving anything away because there's a lot of good. I'm like, yeah, moments. don't give it away. But uh, but yeah, I enjoyed it. It's quiet, and I um, so you have to be careful for the fact it's deliberately paced, but it's also like an hour and a half long. Okay. Oh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I recommend that if you have Hulu and you have the chance to see it. The Vigil. The Vigil. The Vigil. Now, do you have something you want to recommend? Uh, I do. I uh, had a Sunday with little to do. And so I decided to binge watch a whole show because that's what I've been doing some mm-hmm. some weekends. And I watched uh, also on Hulu, weirdly, uh, Little Fires Everywhere, which was released at the beginning of 2020. And uh, too much fanfare. It is a uh, it was an eight part. I'm like, how many parts was it? It's an eight part series based on a book. Uh, so it is. I love that they always have, it's been canceled. No, y'all, it's done. The book's over, right. Uh, even though Good Omens is getting the second season, so or second series, uh, we do have to switch over to the British Naming Convention because series is much more accurate than season. Right. But the uh, it's a drama. It's a family drama. Yeah, that's what it is. And I don't even want to talk about It's about motherhood and... Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a thriller mystery whodunitness to to the whole of it. Uh, it's like you you know you come in because it is twenty it is twenty twenty and it was a book written in the twenty tens. Uh, you come in on a scene and then we flash back four months earlier right. and the entire well, series just, is yeah. up to the t- and then the very end. Uh-huh. Like the very last five minutes, we come back to the now, yeah. um, and then get the little bit after that. So that's the that's the format of it, uh, but it works pretty well. And yeah. uh, it's got Kerry Washington in it, who is oh. amazing, and it's got Reese Witherspoon in it, who is amazing, and it's got uh, Rosemary DeWitt in it, who is amazing, and it's uh, very good. Good. And so I recommend that. I will not say more about it. I feel like you said a lot about yours, but I didn't say very much about mine. But I do recommend it. It's only eight hours. Okay. All right. So until next time, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Latecomers uh, Podcast in the search bar. And I think we're going to get a podcast page but it's confusing, so we'll Ooh. see what happens. Okay. Uh, I would like to uh, remind you to take your medicine, and we would like to remind you, better late than never. never.